Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Hi everyone, my name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor P, Pastor E. Obviously saw those brothers up front. I want to thank God for their lives. Thank God for, for Calvary Chapel South London as a church. Um, today, <clears throat> our topic for the new year, at least an entry to the new year, is God's presence with his people as they journey. God's presence with his people as they journey. And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through to 22. And before I read, as you turn, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord God and Father in heaven, at the beginning of a potentially daunting yet exciting new year, we praise you because you are the the faithful God who keeps covenant with those whom you love. And that to a thousand generations. Lord, would you please help us to understand your unequivocal commitment to us, your people, as you journey with us in this life. And would you do it please, for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you're there with me, Exodus 13, verse 17 to 22. When Pharaoh, I'm reading from the ESV. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped to Etham on the edge of the wilderness, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by a pillar and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So here we are. It's the first day of the first month of the 12th year, 2000. At a time when many are talking about the Olympics, right? As exciting as the Olympics are, they're going to come and it'll probably be great, but then they'll go just like past the Olympics. At a time when people are talking about Big Brother, the next episode, right? getting excited. Why anyone would want to get excited about that is a mystery to me, but there you go. 
Many people are talking about this worldwide economic downturn, this worldwide economic collapse. You may have even heard some make reference to the fact that the world is going to end this year. Well, whatever is being said, whatever is happening, let us remember that our God is in complete control. Because it's easy to get caught up in the hype of the Olympics. It's easy to get caught up in whatever seasonal TV program is happening at the moment. It's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in financial forecasts and markets if you're that way inclined. It's easy to get caught up in wars and rumors of wars. A new North Korean leader who could potentially push the proverbial button. Let us remember our God is in control. Nothing takes place without his knowledge or his consent. Now, how many of you know that that is good news at the beginning of an unfamiliar new year? And we, as his people, can be encouraged by that. And find comfort in that fact that our God is in complete control. Amen. And with that in mind, especially as we journey into unknown territory this new year, there are four things that will be helpful for us to remember. The first thing is that God delivers his people. God saves his people. The second thing is that God protects his people. The third thing is God leads his people. And then fourthly, we're going to see that God is present with his people. God delivers, God protects, God leads, God is present. Now I heard this recently and it really helped me. So how many of us would say, I would like to get closer to God? Many different people have many different New Year's resolutions. I would suggest and suspect for us as believers, that's probably going to be one of them. I would really like to get closer to God. Meaning, I wish my relationship with God was deeper. Or I was enjoying greater intimacy. Now these are relational terms, right? Closeness, nearness. But how can you get closer to a God who is invisible? How do you get closer to a God who is omnipresent? That means he's everywhere at the same time. How do you get closer to a God that you can't see who is everywhere? You couldn't possibly be any closer to God than that which you already are, spatially that is. He's, he's invisible. He's everywhere. You're close to him. Because wherever you are, there he is. Acts chapter 17 verse 28 says, In him we live, we move, and have our being. Remember that old school song? Psalm 139, heavy, check it. Verse 2, you know, says the psalmist with reference to the Lord, you know when I sit down. And when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know when I'm going here, when I'm going there. You even know what I'm thinking. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, even before I open my mouth, behold, 
Oh Lord, you know it all together. Such, one, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's amazing. Verse 7 says, check it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Now notice, spirit and presence are synonymous. God is present by his spirit. We may come back to this later. <laughs> Verse 8. If I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I go as high as I can vertically, metaphorically, you're there. If I go as low as I can, you're there. Notice, this even goes beyond space and time, right? I mean, where is heaven? And where is hell? It's outside of our three-dimensional world, isn't it? It's, it's like, try and run from God. Now you see how ridiculous that is? I'm, I'm going I'm to try and get, get away from God. Where are you going to go? I mean, even if you could, you know what I'm saying, step into the next dimension like Star Trek or one of them sci-fi films, right? You're still not going to get away from him because he covers all of the dimensions. Verse 9, if I t bringing it back to earth, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, two things. If I take an aeroplane and travel this time, how? Horizontally. Even if I go to another, even if I go to California, on the other side of the planet, my wife just went to Australia a few, a few weeks ago, like 24 hours away, completely, totally different time frame. They celebrated like New Year's with their celebrations long time before we did. But no matter how far or where you go, God is there. If I go down to the deepest depths of the ocean and places uncharted, Lord, you're there. Verse 10, even there, this is beautiful, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See the two things there? Lead and hold, direction and protection. That's the two things from our, from our list. This dimension or another dimension, up as high as you can, down as low as you can. Light or dark, invisible or visible, wherever you go, he is there. Wherever you go, there he is. Where can I flee from your presence? The rhetorical answer to that question is what? Nowhere. And like I said, how do you draw near to a being that cannot be perceived with the human senses? Especially when you read a verse like this. 1 Timothy 5 verse 16, speaking about God. Paul says, you who alone are, have immortality, who dwell in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. See, you can partially appreciate, but no one has seen or can see or fully assimilate God in his entirety. Yet, 
we have confusing verses like James chapter 4 verse 8 which says draw near to God (laughs) and he will what? draw near to you well relationally we can draw near but spatially we're always near R.W. Glenn says this is heavy God is intensely personal and radically relational as well as infinitely spiritual and utterly ubiquitous ubiquitous means he's everywhere omnipresent See, how do we relate to a God who is personal yet invisible? Well, there's only one way. He must reveal himself to us in a way that we can perceive. Then we respond to his revelation of himself. And it comes down to faith in what he has made known. Now, the Old Testament is a major part of God's revelation of himself. Major part. Although it isn't as clear as the New Testament, especially when we begin to look at Jesus. But the two, the old and the new, they do work together. And the old is full of illustrations and pictures and prototypes of what will happen later. Especially incidents that relate to the sacrifice of Jesus. Do you remember Jesus himself said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall I be lifted up on the cross. Illustration, a picture, a prototype of that which will happen later. Stories in the Old Testament that illustrate great New Testament truths. Now, what is the context of our story today? The book of Exodus, the word Exodus means exit. I can hear you, I can hear myself here now. It means exit or departure. Exodus, movement of your people. God has delivered his weak and vulnerable people, Israel, from a mighty superpower, Egypt. God completely overthrows Pharaoh, who was its tyrannical, dictatorial, despot of a leader, right? God sends 10 terrifying plagues on his kingdom, Egypt. And through this display of power, God confirms the covenant that he had previously made with Abraham. And he sets his people on a purposeful journey to the promised land. The first thing we see is God delivers his people with powerful force and a mighty outstretched arm he brought destruction on their enemies but watch the contrast he led his people out gently holding them by the hand it says in Hebrews 10 from the word in verse 17 of our text you could get the impression that Pharaoh was king who's in charge God is in charge, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, or when God delivered them, more like, and he did it through, remember, the spilled blood of an innocent lamb, splattered on the wood of the doorposts, the door frames of the homes of the the Israelites, at the passing over of the angel of death. And it was the same thing he would do again a thousand years or so later. Through the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God, 
through the shedding of his blood, God would save or deliver his people from their sins. God delivers his people. The second thing that we see from the text is is that God protects his people. Look at the second part of verse 17. God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now God's plan was to get them to Canaan, right? As promised. And Canaan was quite a distance away from Egypt, Goshen, where the children of Israel were dwelling. And the obvious options would be north, northeast towards Canaan, or possibly east, northeast, or east, north. The first would have been the easiest. It's called the Way of the Philistines. The second was the Way of Shore, S-H-U-R. Then the third reasonable option, albeit not the fastest, would have been what is called the Way of Arabia. Because these were the popular trading routes. But they ended up traveling, I mean, talk about randomly, I mean, at least as we look at it on the map, they ended up traveling east, southeast, which is the opposite direction to Canaan. It says that God didn't lead them via the easy route. Why? Because it actually would not have been easy. It would have been harder because they would have had to fight. And God knew that they, they would have run straight back to Egypt at the prospect of war. Now, isn't this beautiful that God makes a, an arbitrary decision on the basis of his people and his foreknowledge to take them on a longer route and it was for their own benefit. Although the, although the shorter route looked appealing in one sense, it would have been disastrous in another. Now Israel will go on to complain and murmur and grow bitter. But in the midst of all that, you know what they didn't do? They didn't go back to Egypt. And God knew that. Why? Because he has perfect knowledge. God knew what would happen. And God knew what would happen alternatively given the opportunity. Now that's great. It's called contingent omniscience it's knowing what would have happened in an alternate ending now the time for for battle will come yet there's a different type of war for Israel to fight and it's really for the hearts of God's people and as a church we know that just because this is a new year it doesn't mean that things are going to be easy right Especially with the potential of moving venue. And I mean, if you know, it's taken a long time. For those who have been here since the beginning of the journey, we've taken a, a long route. Well, the short way isn't always the best way. God has had us on a journey for a purpose. And in his great foreknowledge, we are where we are in his timing. And who knows what he has protected us from. We are where we are in his timing. Even though we may have taken a long route to get here. 
here. We're not even here yet. <laughs> so what we see in our story is God protecting. Can you see how God is protecting his people? Even from themselves. From dangers that they're not even aware of. How true could that be of me? And how true could that be of you? God knew his people. God loves his people. And therefore God protects his people. Now we come to our third point. And that is God leads his people. Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So we just saw where God didn't lead them for their own protection. Now we see where God did lead them. And the people of Israel, middle of verse 18, went up out of the land of Egypt. It says equipped for battle in the ESV. Not sure if that's the greatest translation. Another translation you may have may may say harnessed or equipped more so for the journey. Possibly meaning orderly. So it's got like a, it's got an army type theme to it. So it could mean orderly or in rank like an army or in a well arranged manner. God leads his people in a particular direction and God leads his people in an organized fashion. Now, does that not speak volumes to us, his 21st century people? God leads, but in an organized manner, decently and orderly. Could it be that the Lord is doing similar things in us as a community of believers? Can you see it? God leading us, organizing us. Think about community groups and ministry teams and membership All establishing order, well arranged, organized like an army equipped for battle, prepared for the next phase. God delivering, God protecting, God leading and organizing his people. And fourthly, God present with his people. God present with his people. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen says it wasn't just the bones of Joseph that they took, but the other patriarchs' bones and skeletons too. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were also carried out of Egypt. Yet in Genesis chapter 50 verse 25, whilst Joseph was still alive, convinced of God's faithfulness, he commended rather commanded his brothers to carry his bones with them eventually when he died as they journeyed toward inheriting the promises. See, Joseph was convinced that God would be faithful to his promise. And convinced of that promise and God's presence and him progressively moving them from where they were, which was Egypt, It says, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, look, God will surely visit you. You see that? God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Can you see that from Joseph's point of view, God would do two things. He would visit his people and he would move them from one place to another. Now that's faith. Verse 20, and they moved. They moved on from Sukkoth and encamped to Etham on the edge of the wilderness. As we said earlier, moving in a southeastern, south southeastern direction towards the desert. 
Notice verse 21. And the Lord went before them. Isn't that comforting? The Lord is faithfully leading his people. Purposefully taking them forward. They're going somewhere. You ever feel sometimes like you ain't going nowhere? Don't watch that. God is taking them forward. They're going somewhere. But notice, not only is God leading, he is leading from the front. And it doesn't contradict what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, but it adds color to it. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, this is probably none other than the Lord Jesus himself, who journeyed with Israel, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, in the wilderness. It says the rock that followed them was Christ. See, and it's a clear reference to Jesus' divinity because in Exodus, it says God was with them. And we heard it last week, right? At Christmas. <laughs> Jesus is who? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. But can you see that God <clears throat> is present with his people? Verse 21 goes on, it says, By day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Day and night, 24 hours a day, God is present with his people. That they might travel by day and by night. They had to be ready to move whenever that cloud moved. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now this picture, this illustration of a, of a visible pillar, a visible column, helps us in our understanding. Because remember, we're like, well, we know you are there, God, but it's hard to get a handle on you. Right? This picture helps us. For them it was literal, it was tangible, it was physical, it was visible. It's one pillar. It's one column, but two manifestations. During the daytime it was a cloud, and during the nighttime it was a fire. The pillar wasn't God but a representation of the God who cannot be seen. Because we've already said that if God were to manifest himself, every human being within his proximity would be dead. It would be like dropping a nuclear bomb and everything that's getting wiped out. Because no man can see God and live. God dwells in unapproachable light. I wonder if Paul is actually alluding to some of this when he makes reference to the fact that he doesn't say him directly, but you know from the text he's talking about himself. He talks about a man, he's not sure if he was in the body, out of the body, he was caught up into the which heaven? Not the first heaven, which is the sky, right? The firmament. When you look at the birds flying plane, that's the first heaven three heavens the second heaven is the stellar heavens where the stars and the planets are but then there's a third heaven 
And I wonder if that's where Paul went and he looked and he, and he saw things that he couldn't even talk about. <clears throat> now I suspect he wasn't in his body in a literal sense because if he was he would have just been disintegrated. I don't know, maybe, it was, maybe he's, he possibly saw God but probably in a vision of some sort. Like Isaiah, remember when he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the temple. Remember Moses desired to see God, didn't he? And the Lord says to him, nah, you, you, you can't see me. Not in my fullness, but I will allow you to see an aspect of me that you can appreciate without being consumed. And the Lord is like, trust me, you can't handle, you can't handle me. And if you listen carefully to the language, it's Exodus 33, a little further on. Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses said, Lord, please show me your glory. And listen to the language. And he, that is God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Be like, wait a minute, I'm thinking about what you look like. You're talking about... I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. See, it's more than seeing something physical. It's more than seeing something visible. It's an experience that goes beyond the senses. Verse 20, but he said, that is God, you can't see my face. For man shall not see me and live. See, God doesn't have a face as we know it. But can you, can you see the, the, the beautiful drawing near? The amazing relationship between creator and man. This wanting to be near to one another. Wanting to be close. Can you see the dynamic? Moses is like, God, I want to see you. And God's like, yeah, I want to reveal myself to you. But I don't know if, you, if what you're thinking is what I'm thinking. Verse 21, and the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me. God's so up for this. Look, there's a place by me where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my what? With, God doesn't have a, I'll, I'll cover you with my hand. God doesn't have a hand. But that helps us, doesn't it? See, God doesn't have a hand. If God had a hand, how big is it? What color is it? See, the Bible says the heavens cannot contain God. How can he have a hand? It's simile, it's metaphor, it's what they call anthropomorphic, right? They say. Clever people say that. God, and God don't use any of these big terms here, but he's doing what the big terms mean. He's revealing him. He's relating to Moses in a way that he can appreciate. God says, I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Now, does that mean that once God passes by that he's gone? No. Verse 23. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. Now, you know my next question, right? God doesn't have a back. 
These are all manifestations of God that help us begin to grasp what he's like. Can you see that? Because he's everywhere and can't be reduced to cloudy, misty vapor. God cannot be reduced to a bright, fiery blaze. But this helps us to begin to comprehend aspects of God's being, aspects of God's greatness, aspects of God's glory. And here we see a picture of God living amongst his people. Question. Was he there when there was no cloud? Where was he before the cloud? Well, God said earlier to Moses, whilst they were in Egypt, God said, I have come down to deliver you. How many of you know God was with them before the cloud? The cloud doesn't mean that he is now all of a sudden just turned up. When the children of Israel left Egypt, check it, he was with them in Egypt. When they left Egypt, did they leave God behind? No. Okay, so you got 2011 and you got 2012. We're no longer in 2011, we're now in 2012. Was God any more in 2011 than he is here in 2000? Was he any more there than he is here? Of course not. And it, gets, and, it, and it becomes further profound because how about five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, when you and I were not even born, was God there? Of course he was. And he will continue to be here when we're gone. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great I am that he is. God is no less here in St. Peter's Church, Brooklyn, than he was when we were in Charter, Red Post Hill in Dulwich. But God's presence, God's presence doesn't always mean blessing. God's presence doesn't always mean protection and salvation. Do you remember in 1 Samuel 4, when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, this is later on, which was symbolic of God's presence, right? It was stolen by the Philistines. And you know what? They took that box and nothing but destruction. Their God, Dagon, the fish God, was in the temple. And they brought, what? They, they brought the Ark right next and put him next to Dagon put the ark next to Dagon and when they woke up in the morning Dagon was on the floor bowing down before the ark and you know what they done they didn't they thought boys maybe something maybe breeze blow down Dagon so <laughs> Dagon their God needed a little bit of help so they propped him up and they stood him back up again went to bed and they come back the next morning this time Dagon's in front of the ark with his hands and his neck broken they said, you know, let's not touch the, let's not touch the day gone. God's present, presence does, doesn't always bring blessing. There's a flip mode. There's a flip side. 
Don't you want to have a close encounter with God? But you know what? You don't want to have a close encounter with God. Adam and Eve chilling in the garden, in the presence of God. Wonderful. At one point. They're walking with God or they're walking with a manifestation of God. If I'd said that maybe at the beginning, you'd have been like, whoa, that sounds like heresy. They were walking with a manifestation of God, right? Then they sinned. And check it, they sinned when God wasn't present, quote unquote. (laughs) When he wasn't walking with them visibly, but was he not still there? See, God knew that they had eaten from the tree that he told them not to eat from. Even though he wasn't there visibly, he was there. And when God exposes their sin, there was a different kind of chill in the garden. See, with Israel, the same is true. They had his presence, but there's a positive and a negative aspect to the presence of God. Quickly, the cloud. Here's the positive side to the cloud. Clouds provide rain. They provide rain, which is water, that we can drink. They provide irrigation that brings forth growth, particularly in that part of the world. Also, for the children of Israel, while they traveled through the the desert, how many of you know it's hot in the desert? Thank God, look, oh, we've got a cloud that protects us from the rays of the sun. How wonderful is that? It's a blessing. Especially if it's 40 years in that desert. In Acts chapter 1, we see another reference to cloud. Do you remember what it is? The Lord Jesus is there with the disciples for the last time. And he ascends, doesn't he? How? In a cloud. In order to go back to heaven and perform his his high priestly duties in the tabernacle of God in the temple of God the real one of which the earthly one is a pattern it's wonderful Jesus our high priest making intercession for us but there's a negative aspect because the Bible says that Jesus is coming back how on the clouds Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says behold he is coming with the clouds And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. This is multidimensional. And all tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of him. How many of you know that's not going to be nice? That's not going to be a good time. That's clouds, but clouds ain't always a blessing. Even so, amen. How many of you know that's terrifying? Ezekiel chapter 30 verse 3 says, For the day is near... The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds. A time of doom for the nations. That's the cloud. How about the fire? The fire is positive. Again, especially in the desert. Because even though it's scorching during the daytime, guess what the temperature does in the nighttime? Just like it is in here right now. It plummets. So the fire is a blessing. Because it keeps you warm. Plus, it's dark and fire brings light. It's comforting. But negatively, do I need to describe the negative effects of fire? 
They say don't play with fire. Fire brings pain and it brings destruction. Fire brings ruin and damage and devastation. And we see fire epitomized in that place of final destruction called hell. To God's people, he's there to bless. To God's enemies, he's there to curse. The same God brings blessing and cursing. Jesus is, Tim sings it all the time, right? I'm I'm Becky. He's He's the lamb, but he's also the lion. To some, he will be savior. To others, he will be judge. The cloud brings blessing and cursing. The fire brings blessing and cursing. And we see this to be true as God is both of these things in our story. Blessing in the midst of his people and bringing judgment on the Egyptians. Getting ready to end. Verse 4, Exodus 14 says, Then the angel who was going before the host of Israel moved hmm, and and he moved to battle position. He moved from the front and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then after that, we see Israel pass through the Red Sea safely, and then the Egyptians pass through the same Red Sea and are drowned. Verse 30 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. To summarize, Calvary Chapel, South London, listen to me. And not listen to me, I mean listen to the word of God. God has delivered us. Has he not? God has delivered us from our Pharaoh, our terrible taskmaster, our slave master. Has he not? We used to be slaves of the devil under his control, under his dominion, puppets to do his will. And that deliverance has come from him through the penal substitution of our saviour, Jesus Christ. Penal. Jesus took our penalty. The judgment that we deserved for sin was laid on him on the cross where he shed his blood. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was through him, just like them, But theirs was a picture, it was an illustration. In similar fashion, we gained our deliverance from Egypt, from bondage. God is, family, God is protecting us. This is such a really important point. God is protecting us, even from things that we're not aware of. Let's not tempt the Lord, our God, like Israel did in the wilderness. Let's not complain, murmur, like I have been. I tell you, 2011 was a man, I murmured and I complained. 
about so many things in 2011. I say, may God forgive me. I've, I've, I think I spent more time on my knees in 2011 than I have the whole of my 22 year Christian life. Because I was so, my heart was just so wicked. And I felt myself saying things and doing things. You know, may God forgive us, you know, for murmuring and complaining. When he's protecting us, he's protecting me. Lord, forgive me. Let's thank God for where we are, considering where we could be. God is protecting us. Let's believe that. Let's God hand us over to our enemies. God is present with us. He's no less here than he is anywhere else. And we need to be aware of that. He's given us these illustrations to help us. Let's believe it. Just because you can't see him. Trust me. You don't want to see him. Not until you get your new body that is. The fireproof one. God is leading us. As we journey to the promised land. Not Canaan, heaven. See, look, look at me pointing. It's not even up. It's in another dimension. As we travel to our Canaan, our heavenly city, like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, moving toward the celestial city, God's presence is with us. God's presence with us, his people. As we journey. God is here. You know God has been with us for the past. How long has it been? 45, 45 minutes. God has been here with us. You know. In 2012. God is with us. May he help us to be aware of that. Every minute. Of every day. For the rest of this year. And beyond. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit who illuminates your word. Thank you that it's true. Would you please help us to believe it, particularly this year, particularly at the beginning of this new year. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.